pray a prayer for illumination. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Help us to open our hearts to it, have faith in it. I pray that you would be with Tony as he preaches this morning, Jesus. Let the truth of your love for us sink in deeply. Amen. First reading this morning is Isaiah 49, 13 through 16, and this is the NRSV version. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his suffering ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these might forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The second scripture from this morning for this morning is Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up from behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. I'm Tony Charles, and our pastor Matt has asked me to preach for this Sunday. My privilege to preach for the second time in uh, the last several months. So the sermon title is, Who Touched Me? Now, I know that some of you here today may think I'm going to preach about the woes and harms of social distancing brought about by our modern day plague du jour, coronavirus, COVID-123, Omicron, Delta, Alpha variants, but that's not what I'm going to preach about. Actually, social distancing has been around for a long time in one form or another. We just had other reasons for socially isolating ourselves from others to protect ourselves from com uh, contamination by close proximity touch. Long before germ theory came into existence in 19 1850, 
The Jews, especially the religious ones, were practicing it on a daily basis. And that was in the time of Jesus, the first century. Touching is risky business. So many bad things can happen from touch. Think about it. You can get an infection. You can catch a disease that can kill you, like AIDS or hepatitis C. You can get the flu bug, TB, measles, meningitis, MRSA, STDs, the list goes on. Then there's inappropriate touch that can land you in jail and ruin your life. And just being accused can mark you and put you on a watch list as a potential sex offender. So why take the risk? We have rapidly become a hands-off society. Agreed? But what about good touch? The touch we call appropriate, kind touch, gentle touch, soothing, healing touch. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus set aside the risk and fearlessly touched the untouchables. He healed the sick, cleansed the leper, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind through his hands-on ministry of touch. He was willing to get his hands dirty, to be accused of being unclean. And if we're chosen by Christ to be his disciples and follow him, then we too must roll up our sleeves and be willing to get our hands dirty for the gospel by making ourselves vulnerable to others. The healing power of touch can only happen through you if you're willing to get up close and personal. Today's gospel reading from Mark is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the healing story about the woman with what is commonly called the issue of blood. Now, some of you may be a little uncomfortable with me talking about it. But you're not alone. In early translations and manuscripts of this story, the word for hemorrhage was actually translated to hemorrhoids. No kidding. This matter of prohibition against Jews coming into contact with blood, especially from women, was, is discussed at length in Leviticus 15. We won't go into it, but you can read it for yourselves. Very explicit. So now we understand why that this nameless woman suffered in a perpetual state of uncleanness. You had to be clean from the flow of blood for at least seven days and the condition she had she was not without bleeding for seven days for 12 years which means she could not worship in the temple she could not be in a public gathering she would have been divorced if married 
She would have had her children taken away from her if a mother and disowned by her family, her parents, her community. She was an outcast, a functional leper, if you will. And in this context, we find this woman, probably wealthy at one time, but who had spent all her life savings on doctors and quack cures to only grow worse. And then she hears about Jesus. And in a moment of desperation, she believes. She believes that she could just get close enough to touch the tzitzit. That's the, that's the word in Hebrew. The tzitzit, one of the four tassels on the corners of the outer garments worn by rabbis at that time. If she could just touch the tzitzit, it would be enough. But why describe it in words? If a picture is worth a thousand words, then a video clip is worth a thousand pictures. Let's watch. One thread. Just the fringe. One touch. One thread. One thread. Just, just the edge. Only a thread. You! I know you. Get away from him. Stop it, please. Rabbi Yussi! Rabbi Yussi! This woman bleeds. She is unclean. We removed her. Please, please, I promise I won't touch him. I, I just need oh, to... Woman, please, we can help you, but not now. Sorry. Try tomorrow. No, please, just a moment. Who touched me? Everybody back. I asked the question. Who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this, and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me, come forward, teacher. It was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry. I, I know I should have asked. But if, if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I was sick. I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> and I was right. I was right. Thank you. Who told you I could heal? A man from the pool. <laughs> and he was right. The blood has ceased.
I'm no one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. It wasn't my piece of clothing that healed you. But it was instant. I felt it right away. I know. But it wasn't this. It was your faith. Teacher, she was bleeding so long. We can take her. She is clean. me today and I know my daughter I know it has been a fight for you for so long you must be exhausted go now in peace your faith has made you well I wish I could stay here longer, but I have business to attend to. Someone else has faith like yours. But I'm so glad that we found each other. How many of you have seen that on The Chosen at home, on live streaming? Not very many, not nearly enough. Did you notice how Jesus looked at her? Did you notice what he called her? Daughter, my daughter. The Greek word Jesus uses there is a, a special term of endearment. Tim Keller, God rest his soul, he just passed away this past month. Tim Keller said we should translate daughter here as my precious sweetheart. Jesus alone would have known the depth of the isolation of her feeling like a motherless child. Twelve years she had suffered social isolation and the lack of human touch and been orphaned by her parents and abandoned by her family. But Jesus replies back to her in the chosen, yes, you are somebody's daughter. You are my daughter. I hope we notice by the look on her face that that pronouncement of good news, from the look on her face, how, what that might have meant to her. And then what does Jesus do with his hands? He places them on her face and looks her in the eye and pronounces her clean. We don't know from Scripture what happened to her after that, but I can assure you whatever it was, her best days were ahead of her. 
Now, before we place all the blame on the Jews for their rules about blood and this treatment of women, there's enough blame to go around with the Greeks and the Romans at that time as well. From the first century writings of Greek historian Pliny the Elder, we learn the taboos of women that were considered ritually unclean. This is a direct quote. Contact with the monthly bloody flux of women turns new wine sour, makes crops wither, kills grass, dries seeds in gardens, causes the fruit of trees to fall off, dims the bright surface of mirrors, dulls the edge of steel and the gleam of ivory, kills bees, rusts iron and bronze, and causes a, a horrible smell to fill the air. Dogs who taste the blood become mad and their bite is as poisonous as rabies. This is nuts! It says that linen touched by women while boiling water, boiling it in water, turns black. And so magical is the power of women during this time <clears throat> that hailstorms and winds and whirlwinds are driven away if menstrual fluid is exposed to the flashings of lightning. I never knew how powerful women are. <laughs> so now we know. So I have a question for you, whether you're a man or a woman. During the COVID lockdown, did any of you experience feelings of loneliness and depression? A lower life satisfaction, increased tiredness, trouble sleeping, higher levels of stress, increased anxiety. Anybody besides me? <laughs> yeah, some of us are willing to admit it. These may have been signs and symptoms of feeling deprived of human contact. Hopefully as restrictions eased up and we could gather together again and in person here in God's house and do our fist bumps and our elbow rubs, we started to feel more connected again with the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but Zoom calls and Skype just didn't do it for me. I know you may say you love me, and I say I love you. But we need more than that. We need love with skin on it. That's why Jesus came in the flesh, the incarnate love of God. Whether we accept it or not, human beings need physical touch, skin to skin, to maintain good health and well-being. Have you ever heard the fact that we need four hugs a day to survive as humans? Well, it turns out we actually need double that. We need eight hugs a day just to maintain and 12 hugs a day to thrive. 
I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm, lo I, I'm, I'm low on the hug scale. I don't get that many hugs. Do you? I need to hug more, and I need to be hugged more. And there's hard evidence that when a child, yeah, next one, next slide. There it is. That when a child doesn't have enough touch, they can lose weight. They can suffer what is called FTT. I learned this in the hospital as a chaplain. FTT, failure to thrive. And that has little, little to do with nourishment. It has everything to do with the lack of affection and human touch. Some of you know that I was in Bosnia in 1997 as a soldier for the U.S. Army. I was a hospital chaplain on a peacekeeping mission called S-4, actually Operation Joint Guard, and I was with S-4, Stabilization Force. Although it was classified as a war zone, there was little conflict to speak of. We sat around a lot waiting and ready for something to happen, which never did. It was a lot like the mid-90s Groundhog Day movie. We had a saying, same stuff, different day. And we did a lot of that. So you can understand why that I jumped at the chance to go outside the wire every time I got the chance when civil affairs asked me to accompany them on one of their, human, on one of their humanitarian missions to the refugee camps and the orphanages. These children were gathered around me because I had given out some candy bars on a previous visit. Well, they never forgot that. <laughs> and I learned to never forget to bring more candy. Now this next slide is one of my favorite memories of visiting the orphanages every Saturday to sit on the floor and hold the toddlers. This little blonde-haired, blue-eyed, precious sweetheart sitting in my lap there was named Amina. And Amina loved to pull off my helmet and pat my face with her little hands and pat my bald head and talk gibberish to me. And I hated it every time I had to leave because Amina would cry. I really wanted to adopt her, and I checked into it, but found out that that was forbidden by NATO so that the next generation of Bosnians could grow up to help heal and rebuild their own country. My superior officer chaplains, they heard about my excursions outside the wire and they were none too happy. They told me, next slide, they told me my mission was to preach to soldiers, to pray for soldiers, next slide to perform sacraments for soldiers. Next slide. 
Stay away from those orphanages and refugee camps, they told me. Take care of soldiers. Stay in your lane. That meant your narrow lane where you're supposed to function. And I was very sad because I wanted to go back and visit Amina again in the orphanage. So me and my battle buddy, Chaplain Wade, and our two chaplain assistants, so you can see us next to Guardian Base Chapel. They are the ones that carry the weapons. Chaplains aren't allowed to carry weapons or fire weapons. But they carried them in case we got attacked, which we never did. But we served as the unit ministry team for the whole Guardian base. 2,000 pairs of boots on the ground during nine, that nine-month tour. My unit ministry team and I, we got together and prayed for what to do to serve the Bosnian children. How we might be instruments of peace to put smiles back on the faces of these sad children. And we got inspired to create a puppet ministry. We called it the Rainbow Kids. So we ordered 20 puppets, a stage, and Christian puppet scripts from the States. We raised enough money from the soldiers for this worthy cause through donations to start our own puppet productions ministry. And we trained 20 soldiers and Bosnian translators and soon had the equivalent of the Muppet Show and Sesame Street all rolled into one. The chaplain supervisors were furious. They ordered us to stand down. They were acting a little bit like the scribes and Pharisees. But God had other plans. I'm sorry I don't have more pictures of the puppets. Uh, they were on uh, VHS video tapes. And unfortunately, they got thrown away by accident. But God had other plans, and thanks to a two-star general, Major General Grange, our division commander, he overrode the headquarters chaplains and ordered our ministry teams, ordered us to take our puppet show on the road to over a dozen sites all over Bosnia and Srebrenica, orphanages, children's hospitals, kindergartens, and other places. We were even featured on German Nickelodeon TV. <laughs> While I saw horrible things in Bosnia that I cannot tell you, there was plenty of pain and sadness to go around. But that puppet ministry brought light it brought the light of the gospel to those dark places. We shared in their own language through the translators the message that God loved them and loves all of us regardless of the color of our skins or our ethnic backgrounds. The message did indeed bring smiles not only to the little faces of the little children, but to the grown-ups who cared for them as well. 
The rainbow kids' message touched their hearts. And I will never forget, toward the end of my tour, the time when I had six Bosnian Muslim translators and puppeteers come into my office, pull up chairs around me, and sat and said, please, tell us why you are a Christian. We want to know more about your Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? And it never happened to me before. What? Here I had the chance to tell them about my faith. What a privilege to share my testimony with these newfound puppeteer friends. And that's the way sharing the gospel through neighbor love is supposed to work, through the friendships that touch them, and then they want to know, why was this so important to you to help us to touch our children? They, they heard. They asked me for a Bible. Every one of them wanted a Bible, so I pulled out from my chest a Bible for each one of them. And then I got in trouble again with the higher-ups for giving away government property intended for soldiers only. Oh, well. That's why I often say I was never really a good chaplain. <laughs> I'm going to reread the promise from Isaiah written to exiles, the people of God, in similar circumstances to what I witnessed in Bosnia. This passage from Isaiah 49 was written to those exiles in Babylon who felt orphaned abandoned and God forsaken just like the woman with the issue of blood just like the Bosnian orphans and refugees here again verse 15 and 16 of Isaiah 49 can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb even these might forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. Engraven in the palms of his hands. Does that remind you of anyone? This is an awesome promise of the love of God. It's very unlikely that a mother would forget her child, but it could happen, and it did happen to many in Bosnia. Yet with God, such abandonment would never happen. The word forget in Hebrew is shachach, which has the idea of leaving or neglecting. God doesn't leave or neglect 
his children. If we could peer into the heart of God, we would see the heart of a tender mother, a heart that feels only compassion for her child. Next slide. May I call attention to the Hebrew word chet, kach, chach. I'm trying to say it the proper way. I can't quite get the ch in there. But it means engraven. Now, before you superimpose the image of Christ's nail-scarred hands onto this passage, just listen to what it most likely meant to the exiles in Babylon the time it was first heard. God says that even a mother could neglect her child, but God would never neglect his child. I have in, inscribed or engraven you upon the palms of my hands. Okay. This word could also mean imagine. Kachach. The only way to really understand it is understand the ancient practice that when a son left home and moved a long distance away or went off to war, the mother would long for some token to remind her of her absent son. Tattooing was then and still is an ancient art. The mother would go to the local tattoo parlor and have some symbol, usually an image of her son, that would be, I'm sorry, looking for my page here, <laughs> which has gotten lost. That's why. Four. Yeah. Some that would have an image of her son tattooed to the right palm of her hand. The ancients believed that one's heart was found in the right palm of the hand. Thus, this token or symbol that she would have permanently tattooed on her right palm would be a reminder of her son. But not only that, she would have held it close to her heart as close as possible. And each time she looked at this little token inscribed in her palm, she would imagine her son. What God is saying to all of us here is that he has a little token as a reminder of us permanently marked into his right hand. We are the closest thing to God's heart. The marks in Christ's hands are permanent for all eternity, and he is continually being reminded how much he loves us. He is imagining all the good things that God has in store for us. And then we look at this phrase, yet your walls are continually before me. What does that mean? The word wall is chama, which means a barrier or a wall of defense. 
even though God has permanently engraved us near to his heart out of grief and pain, we set up our own walls or barriers to his love. The exiles were experiencing this walls of separation that they threw up toward God. But my God has abandoned me. He has forsaken me. No. Isaiah affirms that this image of the passage we should grasp is that of a mother longingly reaching out to her child, even though the child keeps refusing to acknowledge her love, yet she continues to love her child. That child may spit in her face, may curse her, may stop believing in her, but she will still long to reach out to her precious sweetheart. God is doing that to you today, wherever you are, and whatever state of God-forsakenness and abandonment and loneliness that you find yourself. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you that you have fixed an eternal reminder in the palms of your hands through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ so that you cannot forget us. Help us remember this next time we feel so God-forsaken. Help us remember when we feel alone. Let us feel your gentle touch. Reassure us that you are really there, even though we may not feel your presence. Let us know in a palpable way that you have not abandoned us, and we are never alone. You are with us holding our faces in your hands. Amen.